Hey, I'm Jason Gray. Hey, this is Sarah Gross. Hey, I'm Andrew Osinga. Hi, this is Michael Carr. Hey, this is Andrew Peterson, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. And this is me, so let's have some exciting music. Who is me, you ask? Well, me is Rick Lee James, and this is my podcast, Voices in My Head. We've got a great show for you this week, so stay tuned. Voices in my head, listeners. This is Rick Lee James, your weekly host. Well, it's not been weekly for a while, and I want to apologize about that. Things have just been so busy, so hectic, and I just haven't had a chance to get this out weekly like I would like. It's unfortunately been closer to monthly, um, but we're going to see what we can do to remedy that in the future. Just to let you know, this week's episode of Voices in My Head is a live episode done in Kansas City. I had the opportunity to present uh, on my book, actually, Out of the Depths, a songwriter's journey through the Psalms, and uh, I think I was able to give a a unique perspective on the Psalms uh, that's even something that's not actually in the book. I wanted to do my best um, to present something that if you had read the book, uh, you wouldn't just be getting information all over again. And uh, and if you hadn't read the book, I wanted it hopefully to entice people into maybe buying the book and reading it, checking it out for themselves. So, uh, so this week is live from Kansas City at the Church of the Nazarene M15 conference. Uh, Mission 15 is what that stands for. And uh, I was privileged to be a part of the the pre-conference, which was about worship and preaching, and uh, it was just a fantastic time. I I had an incredibly good time there with so many good people who love the Lord. I came back very encouraged, and uh, in spite of the fact it was a nine-hour, well, really closer to ten-hour drive each way by myself in a car, um, which gave me a lot of good God time, but uh, boy, well, that's enough of that. I'm tired, and I, I just wanted to let you know that this is a little bit different episode than normal but let's face it they're all a little bit different than normal if you could do me a favor if you are enjoying the podcast that i have so far um and and hope to continue listening in the future uh, i would really appreciate a few reviews on itunes Uh, or you could just go to my website at rickleyjames.com or you can go to twitter which my handle is rickleyjames Um, you can even go to our facebook page and uh, just look up voices in my head podcast you'll be able to find it on facebook Uh, i just want to know from you what you're thinking of the show if you're listening to the show if if you're not listening to the show um i mean it looks like according to uh, the the um, whatever you call it, the statistics, it looks like we do have several listeners that are listening to voices in my head, uh, but I'm not hearing any feedback from you, so I don't know what kind of shows you're hoping to have in the future. Um, if you're still listening to the show, if there's uh, something that's made you happy or sad or mad or whatever, so I just love to hear from you, uh, just to know I so I can know how to keep these episodes going in the future. If in fact I should keep these episodes going in the future, I want to offer something that's beneficial. And uh, if Voices in My Head has sort of run its course, then uh, I want to make sure that uh, I, I supplement it with something else. If, if Voices in My Head podcast is something that no one's listening to, uh, then I that I don't want to just continue doing this. I want to try something else in the future. So uh, do me a favor. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you're thinking on that. Uh, other than that, sit back and enjoy this week's episode of Voices in My Head, live from Kansas City. Sorry for that long prologue there, but I hope you enjoyed the show today. I had a great time recording it. God bless you. 
Anyway, so welcome not only to the M15 pre-conference, but also to the Voices in My Head podcast for those of you who are listening to that at home. My name is, is Rick Lee James, and um, I have to use Lee in my middle name because if I just went around calling myself Rick James, everybody would think of the Dave Chappelle skit that talks about Rick James. Or if you're old enough to remember the artist Rick James with the dreadlocks and the you know um, super freak and all that stuff. So uh, I have to use my middle name just to, to differentiate for uh, different online platforms and things like that. Um, but I actually live in Springfield, Ohio. I have been a, a pastor at that church, a First Church of the Nazarene in Springfield, Ohio, in one capacity or another um, in an associate ministry for uh, over 14 years now, actually. Uh, most of that time I've been um, a music pastor at the church. Um, I also do some writing and uh, have about 12 songs right now published with Lifeway Worship. I have a new album coming out with Lifeway Worship um, probably a little bit after Easter this year. I'm not sure exactly of the dates of when that's coming, but um, it's been a, a neat ministry for me to not only kind of be connected to a local church, but also to get to do some writing for the church. And so I'm especially interested in the Psalms because the Psalms are the songbook of the church, and they have been the songbook of the church uh, for many, many years. And uh, we're, we're going to look a little bit about that today and why that's significant for us. And I want you to feel free if you have any questions along the way or any comments along the way. Um, feel free and, and stop me because I'm going to probably try to go through this pretty fast. Uh, I have a class that I teach at Trevecca. Uh, well, I started teaching it last year actually through the... the um, uh, oh shoot, the worship program there. It's not through the music department specifically, but Sam Green and Heather and them uh, run it. I can't think of the, uh, you know what I'm talking about though. Um, this was a great advertisement for them. I can't think of the name. It's the Na National, National Praise and Worship Institute. Okay, um, so I do a, a class on the Psalms at Trevecca, and uh, we do this over three days of class time when we have to do like four hour class sessions each time. So I'm going to try to cram a whole bunch into like one hour here today. We're not going to get through everything probably that I wanted to. So feel free to stop me along the way. Um, my email address, just in case you want it or want to get in contact with me, I have these little cards I'm going to hand out to everybody. You can actually pick these up on the table, but I wrote this book called Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms. If you take one of these cards, and, and again, whether you pick it up here or whether you get it on the table out there, you actually, there's a link on there that shows you where you can download a free copy of it, like an ebook form if you use ebooks or anything. And my website is on here, rickleyjames.com. Um, my email address, if you want it, if you want a copy of what I'm going to be talking about today, uh, it's on this card as well. Um, for those of you listening, it's rljames29 at yahoo, or at icloud.com, sorry, rljames29 at icloud.com. So I'll hand those out if anybody didn't get any of those at the end today. But let me go ahead and, and, and walk through it. Um, you might be wondering what, uh, what the Psalms mean, first of all. The Psalms... Uh, the Hebrew word for psalms is tehillim, and it means uh, songs of praise. So I don't think we often think about this, but when you think about the psalms, we're actually talking about songs, 150 songs in a book. Um, it's sort of the hymnal of ancient Israel. And I don't know how often we think about it because we usually read it. The tunes are lost to us because they didn't have any kind of recording devices back then. The music writing the notation that they had back then is going to be pretty primitive, and we don't really have any record of what these songs sound like. 
So it leaves us at the point now kind of feeling like, okay, well, what are we supposed to do with these psalms? Uh, we don't have the original music, and we don't even have the original language. Most of us uh, don't speak Aramaic or Hebrew or any of the ancient languages, so we're relying upon translations of translations, which are taken from other translations. And so it kind of makes you wonder, what are these songs supposed to sound like? And how can these songs benefit the church today? So we're going to walk through a little bit. And hopefully my slides I'll be able to... This is my first time using a presenter thing on, um, on my iPad, so bear with me as I get this going. Um, the book actually came out this last year, and what, what happened first was, was this thing down here, if you look below. Uh, because I am a musician, I was looking for a way uh, to actually kind of help the church sing psalms again in a certain way. And I didn't know exactly how to do that. So I do what I do as a songwriter. I sat down with a pad of paper in front of me and a pen and a guitar or sometimes a piano, just depending on where I was. And I started picking out psalms that I wanted to use. I knew, first of all, that I didn't want to write 150 songs um, because that, I just didn't have time for that. Maybe throughout my life I will. I'd love to get around to writing a song from each of the psalms. But I started thinking, how can I best kind of do sort of an overview of the Psalms? So I decided since there's five uh, sections, there's really five books in the book of Psalms, um, I decided to take two Psalms from each section and sort of make a, a live album of ten Psalms that are songs that um, hopefully get to the heart of what these songs are all about, that hopefully really capture the meaning. So a couple years ago, I recorded this album. It turned into a DVD, and, and last year Amazon picked it up. I was really excited about it. It's just called Basement Psalms Live. So if, if you're interested in that, um, you can get it on Amazon now. And, um, but that's, that's not important to, to what we're really talking about today. But that came first. That was sort of where the idea of the, the book came from, which led to the class, which led to all that. Um, after I got done with all these songs, uh, I got thinking, you know, there's only so much you can say in a song. Um, there's a whole lot more of research that I had to do. There's a whole lot more that I felt like I wanted to say about the psalms and the place that they have in worship. So I think I'm going to write a book. So the book ended up coming from this experience of kind of recording this album, and uh, it just kind of became out of the depths of songwriters journey through the psalms. The book itself is it's part commentary, it's part personal memoir, and it's just a little bit liner notes, uh, if, if you're kind of curious about what the book is like. And I don't want to go through the book today, I want to kind of give you some things that are not in the book per se to kind of help you and maybe encourage you to, to just kind of look into the Psalms for yourself. But in case you wanted to read the book, I didn't want to give you everything. It was very interesting this morning, those of you listening won't hear this, but Anybody staying at the Marriott over here this week? Okay, did you have this on your mirror in the bathroom? Okay, there's a thing, and it says something about, like, something bars or something at the bottom. I mean, it has, like, a wine glass, and in the mirror in my bathroom, it says, you look great, let's go downstairs and get a drink. <laughs> and then what stood out to me, though, was get centered. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. This is, this is what I need today for my class. So I took a picture and I threw it up there real fast. And it says, in the picture, it says, get centered. 
beyond the lobby. And I got thinking about what Scott was saying this morning. He was talking about the benediction and where we're kind of released into the real world. And I thought, well, that's perfect. The Psalms are one of the perfect ways for us to get centered. It's a way for us to really um, become and be shaped and be formed into the people that God would want us to be so that we can go beyond the lobby, so to speak. You know, as we leave this place, we're going into another realm. Um, and it just kind of worked out. So I want us to think of the Psalms, first of all, today as a way for us to center ourselves. And, and, and by being centered, I mean just a way for us to come together uh, in the body of Christ. Now, the original writers of the Psalms are not going to understand, you know, well, who's Jesus? I don't understand that. That's the Psalms writer, believe it or not, Jesus doesn't appear in the Psalms. But in a way, he does, which we're going to try to get into that later. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 15, Jesus tells us how not to pray, tells us how to pray. And there's all kinds of things in that passage about what you should not do. And, you know, don't go babbling on and on like the Pharisees do. And don't just keep heaping up words and piling them up. But when you pray, you should pray like this. And, and, and Jesus begins teaching throughout his ministry. We can see where Jesus was using the Psalms in, in many different ways. And the book of Psalms is one of the most widely read and most appreciated books in the Bible. And synagogues and churches both continue to read, sing, and pray the Psalms to this day. Now, to ask a question real quick, what, what religion were Jesus and his disciples? Not really a trick question. Somebody yell it out. Jewish, very good. They were Jewish. So they would have been very familiar with this idea of the Psalms. We pray these Psalms, we sing these Psalms. Um, Jesus and his disciples were absolutely soaked in the Psalms, like all Jews were that day, especially observant Jews. They were going to know these Psalms. Um, you know, monasteries to this day will still go through the entire Psalter every week in their prayer life. They will sing these Psalms, they will pray these Psalms, and they understand that the Psalms help us to be formed. And so the Psalter is the prayer book, if you think about it, that Jesus made his own. Um, I don't know that we always think about Jesus praying through the Psalms. We're so bad in our modern society about thinking prayer has to be spontaneous all the time. But prayer is really something we learn from those wiser than us. And prayer books are a wonderful way to do that. And the Psalms are unique in that they are not just prayers, but they are actually songs too. And I always tease you know, my pastor about this and other pastors. I say, you know, I, I'm the music guy and you're the preacher and I understand we're sort of a word-centered place, but people don't leave the church, you know, humming the sermon, you know. <laughs> they leave the church with the song in their mind. It's kind of like Scott was saying this morning in his message, I've never been at the end of someone's life in the hospital bed and they asked me to preach one more sermon. They, a lot of times, will want a song though and they want to sing a song through. The songs are a way for us to do that. They're, they're a way for us to... Um, be formed into who we are, to be shaped into who we are as songs. So I want us to think of the psalm not only as prayers, but also as songs, that they really are something that we can benefit from singing. So Jesus and his first followers used the psalms to express how they understood what God was doing in the world. So you'll hear a lot in the psalms about them crying out to God. They're trying to make sense of God throughout the course of singing these songs and praying these songs. Um, and until recently, um, pretty well every branch of the Christian, tra Christian tradition for 2,000 years, 
The Psalms have been the backbone of Christian worship. Matter of fact, you guys are familiar probably with the hymn writer Isaac Watts, who wrote many, many hymns. He was kind of a controversial guy because he started writing these things called hymns. And they were too modern. People didn't like them because they weren't singing the Psalms. Until that time, that's all the church had. They sang the book of Psalms. And so upstarts like Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley and different people like that came through and started writing hymns. And it really started to upset the apple cart because the Psalms had such a prominent place in the life of worship of the church up until that time. Now, you can go to many churches where week after week you will rarely sing or read the Psalms. And that's just kind of part of who we've become as Protestants, unfortunately. They've been replaced by new songs, songs written in-house, which is great, and I'm, I'm for that. But it hasn't been that way until recently, and I just wanted to point that out. It's a fairly recent, in the last several hundred years, it's a fairly recent development that we've kind of started leaning away from the Psalms as our book of worship and onto other things that are more things that we've written. Um, now, I, I think it's a neat opportunity for us as the church to kind of combine things we write with things that are sacred in Scripture, like things like the book of Psalms that we don't have the tunes anymore. You know, what if we could help our people start to sing those again? You know, what if we could really make that a part of uh, our worship life together? Um, N.T. Wright has pointed out that the Psalms are the answer to the question, what would Jesus sing? And I, I really like that explanation when you think about it. I, I like the image, thinking of Jesus with his disciples. I almost think of him sitting around a campfire at night and they start singing the Psalms, you know, or, or whatever you, you sing when you're on the journey, when they're in the, the temple and the synagogues and they're singing these Psalms. Uh, N.T. Wright also pointed out that in, in speaking about the Psalms, uh, he actually published an excellent book, which a lot more people read than my book. I don't know why people were reading N.T. Wright more than me, but um, that's a joke. Um, but he says in, this, in his book on the Psalms that Epicureanism, which uh, Epicurus, which was uh, this philosopher um, way, way long ago, uh, that said pleasure is the greatest good, very similar to hedonism. Uh, he said that Epicureanism seems to be the order of the day for the Western world, telling us that if there is a God or if there are gods, they're far away, but they don't interfere with us. It's almost sort of an agnostic sort of view. But the biblical worldview that we find in the Psalms, and in fact in Scripture as a whole, says no, God's domain and our domain are constantly interacting. God is present. God is moving. He was moving and working when we woke up today, when we were born, before we were born, and before our ancestors were born. And we believe that won't change ever. His pleasure is why we are made, which is such a stark contrast to the Epicureanism, which is our pleasure is the greatest good. It becomes that God's pleasure becomes our greatest good. So the Psalms really help us to see that God is active, that God is working, that God is moving in, in, uh, in our world right now. Um, and if I, I see you taking notes, again, if you want this, I'll email this to you later if, you, if you're you know, just going too fast. Um, Come on, there we go. But if we work at it, I believe the Psalms will help us pray. And that's the most important thing for us. It's, it's like practicing a guitar, which I can't hardly do anything without taking my guitar. I love my guitar. Uh, are there any guitar players in here today? Okay, you're a guitarist, you're a guitarist, a few in here. What's it like when you first start playing guitar? 
Did, you don't first start out doing this, do you? No, you're more like... You know, depending on your practice. And even then, it's like... You know, because you have to get your fingers worked up, and then eventually maybe you can kind of kind of get a strum going a little bit, and it becomes more easy and more comfortable. But that strumming pattern, like say when you first start learning that, it even will be like, you know, because you're not quite there yet. You're not quite holding the strings where they need to be yet. Um, if you're going to make any progress, though, you have to keep at it. You have to be pretty regular at it, don't you, when you're playing guitar. Otherwise, you don't start learning how to, to shape things and do patterns. And... You know, that, that takes some time. You don't just start out right away doing that. And for me, it was a lot of time of staring at the paper or listening to something over and over again or watching a video and kind of trying to get my fingers to move the way that somebody else's fingers would move. Well, for some reason in our society, um, and maybe it's just human nature, but we've kind of got to the point where we don't think we have to work at our faith in the way that we have to work at everything else. And we, for some reason, believe that prayer will just come naturally and spontaneously without any help. So one of the reasons that we, I think, have come together for this worship conference today is the idea that we want help in how to do this. We want to learn how to pray. We want to learn how to be properly formed. Um, and, and so in working at this, the Psalms actually are sort of our practice book. If you think of it in terms of guitar, back when I was first learning, you grab that Mel Bay book, uh, number one, and you start looking through it and try and figure out what you're going to play, and it makes you play dumb songs like Hot Cross Buns and things like that that you're never going to play again the rest of your life. But it's the starting point. And after a while, it starts to become fluid. And, and for me, on, on certain songs, it's just about as natural now as chewing gum or blinking my eyes, you know, because it's just at that point where you've done it so much, it starts to kind of flow from you. It doesn't mean there's less meaning to it or it's less important, but, it, but it's better now and it's become more a part of me. I really feel like our prayer life is that way too. And the Psalms are a way that we can practice our prayers. Um, Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and make melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you notice, it says in verse 19, as you sing psalms, as you sing psalms. When was the last time you sang a psalm in church. I mean, it's, it's very rare that we'll sing those things. I'm, I'm thankful for uh, people like Matt Redman who, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, taken straight from the psalms. If, almost every word of that song comes from the psalms. Um, it, it's a good way for us to come back and sing it again, but Acts 2.42, and we're talking about the early church and practices of the early church, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, a lot of translations, the reason I use the NRSV is because they get the translation right. A lot of them will just say to breaking of bread and prayer. 
But the actual translation is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's very interesting. They are specific prayers. Things like the Psalms that they would come together to pray and to sing uh, in, the, in the early church and which are still done today in, in, uh, in our denominations. So the Psalms are unique among the books of the Bible for a couple reasons. Other books of the Old Testament bring God's word to humanity, but the song, Psalms bring the voice of humanity to God. It's very unique in that. It gives us a way to express ourselves back to Him. And God is present in the Psalms. Don't make any mistake about it. But it's sort of this real interaction between God and His people that takes place in the Psalter. Um, the, songs, the Psalms teach us how to respond to God. They teach us how to be properly formed. They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to remember together in worship. And the Psalms will articulate our cries to God for help and our cries of gratitude for His covenant faithfulness, His kindness, His care, and His deliverance. The Psalms also dive into the depths of our needs. That's a very important thing. Whoops, and I missed one. Um, the Psalms also soar us to the heights of praise. So how does this all connect to worship? Okay, and We're, we're going to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it now. If worship is an act of remembering who God is together, and, and in my book, that's actually what I kind of call worship at one point. I call worship an act of remembering together. So that's a, a fairly good definition that doesn't capture all of it, but that's sort of the definition I use in the book. If worship is an act of remembering who God is together, then Psalms help all people connect in worship by helping them locate their various phases of life in the words of the psalmist. Um, people will be able to see themselves in the Psalms. The Psalms give us words to pray together in all seasons. These ancient prayers are to be prayed and sung together as new prayers and as new songs. I'll give you an example of that. Um, there's a, a gentleman in my church who this week, uh, it's going to be one year since he lost his wife. They were together for, I think, about 47 years. Um, she's the oldest, she was the oldest living survivor of cystic fibrosis um, and, and had lived through a lung transplant. Uh, had, they had just been together for many, many years. Um, their walk with the Lord was amazing. Um, they kind of jointly taught our Sunday school class for young adults at our church, which I was a part of. And about a year ago, her body just gave out. I just, just couldn't make it anymore. And I have found that I didn't have words to say uh, to my friend. I, I didn't know what to say to him. Um, I didn't know how to lead him in worship necessarily when we came together. Um, until I realized that, hey, the Psalms are about a third laments. They're people that are coming and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Out of the depths, Lord, hear my cry. And it really began to give voice. And so I started considering when I would come to worship, how can I help my friend worship today? He doesn't just need to hear, I'm so happy, oh happy day. He needs to hear that God is there, that God is present, that God is not far away in this time, and that grief is okay. And the Psalms give us language to express hope and confidence that God's grace will sustain us in life's most difficult and turbulent times. So let me get into the authorship and date. This is the, the part of this that excites me as a songwriter. 
most of the Psalms come from a time of the monarchy of David, but it wasn't until after the exile that the book took its final form. So if you see on the screen, David's reign was from about 1000 to 961 B.C., uh, although some of the Psalms we do get like 137, if you're ever to read that, it kind of comes after the exile period and after David's reign. But there's a lot of confusion about where we get the Psalms from. And, and everybody usually thinks, oh, these are all written by David. Um, not exactly. And that's what I want to get into today. The Psalms have everything to do with corporate worship because they were written corporately. And I don't know if, if you've ever thought of it in this way, but it kind of... It really expanded my mind when I thought about, oh shoot, um, the idea of co-writing. If, if you ever get a chance, and I'm not going to read it right now because it's a, it's a long passage, but if you read First Chronicles 25, we actually have the chronicling of the writing of the Psalms and where we got the Psalms from. King David, and I'm, I have a chart that I'm going to show to you in just a moment, but King David oversees three psalm writing prophets who in turn oversee 288 musicians in 24 teams of 12, okay? So the next time somebody says, David wrote the Psalms, you can go, mm, kind of. And, and let, let me illustrate that for you. I found a, a great book um, called Singing the Songs of Jesus by Michael Lefebvre. Actually, after I wrote my book, uh, I wish I would have found it before because I would have asked him if I could borrow this chart to put in it because it, it, it just shows so well. But the following chart is from his book called Singing the Songs of Jesus, Revisiting the Psalms. And this chart, I'm going to bring it up in pieces. If you look at that First Chronicles 25 passage, there are these temple hymn writing teams. And really when we're talking about the Psalms, we're talking about a hymn book. So it starts out with King David at the top, who's sort of the head songwriter, and he's sort of the one commissioning this project, okay? Um, King David commissions three songwriters be beneath him. Asaph, Jeduthun, and I like to call him He-Man, but it's He-Man, you know. But I grew up as an 80s kid, so I watched He-Man and the Masters of the Universe on, on cartoons whenever I was a kid. So I like to call him He-Man, anyway. So he commissions these three hymn-writing prophets. They, in turn... Um, make these 12 groups of 24 other writers and musicians. So just look at the chart for a second. When you see how, how big that is and how expanded it is, I'm like, man, this is one of the biggest co-writing projects I've ever seen, you know, because when I co-write with somebody, it's generally one, sometimes, you know, uh, two other people, but it's usually not that many. But it seemed like this was such an important thing, and it was so much a part of the worship life of the community that David actually got involved, all of these hundreds of people, to be a part of the writing of the Psalms. Which for me, that says as a church, as the people of God, when we write songs, we need to think of it as a communal activity that is done for God um, and, and with each other in cooperation to speak truths about God. So um, that's a... a pretty amazing chart when you kind of see it laid out that way and how the psalms came to us and where they came from so king david to those three and to those other groups down below and i'm not even going to try to read all the names because when i have my class at treveca we read the names and and i get tongue twisted and can't say it very well but there's a lot of interesting names he-man being my favorite um and, and this is where we're going to actually get into some, some different styles and hopefully have a little bit of conversation in here today as well. And 
Uh, it's always better when I don't talk so much and let other people have a little bit of time as well. But I want to get into the literary types of psalms. The reason this is important when we talk about like singing the psalms in church or even having psalms for prayer, um, things like the lectionary are, are wonderful ways for us, like the Revised Common Lectionary, to, to grab a psalm for the day and to be able to use that and to sing that. But there are certain occasions that we might want a different psalm for a different purpose. Um, there are occasions like my friend I mentioned who lost his wife. Maybe today we need to sing this different psalm with a different tone in mind. Or maybe we need to read this psalm and pray it in a different way. So I want to get into the literary types of psalms. Um, my animation, hang on. There it is. Okay, there's the page I needed. I'm sorry, it's probably kind of small for you to see right there. Um, but if you look down the chart, these are the different types of psalms that we have. The best way I can liken this to when I was trying to put this chart together, if you ever looked in the back of a hymnal and you have the different songs for different themes and different occasions that come together, this is sort of like my attempt at putting together a sort of back of the hymnal for the psalms, okay, if that makes any sense. Um, we have psalms that are, are hymns that are that really are the basis of the hymns that we write today, um, that, or hymns that have been written for the last couple hundreds of years. They're based off of structures of these hymns that we see in the psalms. And then we have these lament psalms, which are communal, and then there's individual psalms, and then there's specialized lament psalms, which are penitential psalms, and the most famous one being Psalm 51, where King David... Uh, after being caught and being a murderer and the, the Bathsheba incident and all that went on with that, uh, the prayer attributed to him when he's coming and just laying it all bare before God, you know, uh, cast not thy Holy Spirit from me, restore to me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That's one of the penitential psalms. Um, the imprecatory psalms, which are a very sticky wicket um, for followers of Christ, and we're going to get into that in, in a few moments here as well. Then we have thanksgiving or toda psalms, thanksgiving psalms, which are communal and individual. Then there's specialized thanksgiving psalms. Um, some of them go through salvation history, so you have an entire psalm that almost seems like a history lesson, which I don't know if we... Um, I can't even think of a, like a hymn or a song we sing today that quite goes through the history the way that this thing does. Like if you go through and, um, and see, like they'll, they'll take up actually two songs at a time. Like if you go to Psalm 105 and Psalm 106, um, I wrote one on Psalm 105 for, for the album and a chapter of it on the book. And it's just so much information I couldn't even get into 106 because 105 took so long. It's like this, this song is going to be 25 minutes long if I do, you know, Psalm 105 and 106 together. So smarter people than me can figure that out. But then we have Thanksgiving songs that are psalms of trust. And then you get into the, the more liturgical psalms for published, public worship. There's covenant psalms, there's royal psalms, there's enthronement psalms, there's songs of Zion, there's temple liturgies. And then you get down into the, the final category of community psalms. There's actually wisdom psalms that look a lot like the psalms in wisdom literature, like Proverbs and things like that. Um, and then there's Torah poems, which are about meditating upon the law of God. And so we have all kinds of different classifications of psalms. If you want this chart, again, I can email it to you if you let me know. And if I can get my, my page to turn, I'm going to go to the next page because I want to get into some of this. 
Let's get into the, the forms of a hymn, first of all. Okay, if, if this helps you, and if you're a songwriter and this helps you especially, um, the, the, uh, the psalm, How Majestic Is Your Name, Psalm number 8, um, mine goes like this, just to kind of let you know. This is the simplest category of hymn. They call the community to praise God, um, and then they'll give reasons for praising God, and then they will conclude with a renewed call to praise God. So it's a pretty simple format, and it's the easiest to, to, to fill out. And there's all kinds of songs, so it's real easy for us to go to like a hymn and be like, Oh Lord, I Lord, how majestic is your name, how majestic is your name, How majestic is your name, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So then the psalm, you see at the beginning, it, it gives this kind of community call to praise Yahweh, Lord, how majestic is your name. And then the psalm will go into reasons for praising God. So my interpretation of it kind of went like this, going through the psalm, in all the earth. We see your hands in the creatures of the air, the sea and the land, the little babies cry your name, and the enemy is broken by their praise. So that's sort of the second part, reasons for praising God, which those are in the psalm as you go through. And then you come back to your conclusion again, which is a renewed call to praise. Oh, Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name, how majestic is your name, oh, Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name. How majestic is your name, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that's like half of the song I wrote for that one. Um, and, and I'm just kind of showing you some ideas of ways that we can start thinking through together. If you're going to try to write some songs for your church, just to kind of keep some of these things in mind if in, in structuring the psalms and trying to, to like be true to the psalms themselves so you're not getting too far away. Um, a lot of it is sort of like giving it a, a translation. It's almost like if you're going to try to write a song from the psalms, you almost have to do the Eugene Peterson message version of it, you know, in some ways when you're doing it because... Um, what Eugene Peterson did when he made the message, a lot of people just think it's sort of a free paraphrase and he kind of makes it sound whatever. But what a lot of people don't realize is Eugene Peterson is a real master of like the Greek and Hebrew languages. And so he's going through and looking at the original translation saying, okay, how do I make this speak to the culture in a way that they're going to get it, you know, in a way that's going to make me understand it. So it's kind of a help like that when we try to write a psalm. So if you realize that the hymns are written sort of in, in that progression uh, that are in the psalms, and Zitzimleben is, is a phrase I'm going to use a few times throughout here, the setting in life of how the hymns were sung we're going to look at. The hymns were sung as, as a part of worship on diverse occasions, like sacred festivals, uh, victory after battles, 
um, thanksgiving for the harvest, relief for drought and plague, and perhaps um, by a choir or an individual singer. You might chuckle, I put the special song in, in parentheses, but some of these psalms actually do serve in that mode. They actually are for an individual to sing while everybody kind of listens and takes it in. It's still a communal event, but it's sort of something that one person presents to the congregation, if that makes sense. So, uh, any questions about, about hymns as a form of psalm that's in there before I move on to the next one? Okay. This might spark a little more conversation, hopefully. We get into the laments. Um, these are cries to God for help. There are lots of different laments. Um, there's about 50 of them, over a third in the book of Psalms. Out of 150, or if you're Orthodox, 151 Psalms, um, a third of them are laments. And that tells me that that is a very important part of the human experience and a very important part of our faith experience that we need to incorporate into our life of worship together somehow. We've not done a very good job of it. You know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple ways that I think we've kind of messed it up in a minute here. But um, these are highly emotionally charged psalms. Um, they record the writer's heart cry to God for divine deliverance from pain and from trouble. The lament or complaint psalms, as we can call them, can be divided into two categories of the individual lament and the communal lament. And then you can do like imprecatory psalms and penitent psalms as sort of extra forms of those as well. Uh, so we're going to look real quick at the individual complaint psalm. One of my, my favorite examples of a psalm that I think is beautiful but really missed the point of what the psalm was about is the psalm, um, just in tone is what I mean, is the, you remember this song? The... As the deep panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You know, it's like, it almost is like a lullaby. And it's just sung like, like oh yeah, I'm going to go to sleep to that tonight. Thank you. Nice, beautiful song. Well, that's a song that, that most people think was probably written about someone who had been kidnapped and was mistreated and is being starved to death and is thirsty and crying out and being mocked and being told that your God is nowhere to be found. And I can just picture the psalmist in that situation. I'm picturing somebody, and not to make light of that, but I'm trying to picture like somebody that's a victim of ISIS or something like that right now getting ready to you know, be beheaded or they're watching their family die and seeing them going, as the deer panteth for You know, it's like not exactly the tone they were going for. You know what I mean? Um, so I want us to be like observant when we're looking at Psalms of how can we be faithful to a tone of, of what a psalmist is trying to say because they're very serious things. The individual complaint psalm um, is like a call to Yahweh will, will usually be the beginning of it. And then they'll get into the complaint or the lament proper. And then there'll be considerations of persuading Yahweh to intervene. And you know we do that as humans. We're like, God, if you'll just do this, I'll do this for you. And there's a lot of that in the lament psalms. There really are as you go through there. And they have this petition, this entreaty, which is the most significant part of these complaint psalms. Um, this may be of a general nature, it might be 
quite specific. It may be confessional. Um, it may be. Um, it, it can it can run that gamut of anything from confessional, like David does in Psalm fifty one, where he's confessing this this incredible amount of sin and just kind of releasing it all. Or it can be the other way. Lord, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. Why am I having everything heaped up on me like this? I've done my best to be faithful. And so then, although the the prayer is not necessarily answered in the, the lament psalm, it usually ends at least with a conviction that it has been heard, that God is listening, that God is present even in, in the midst of it. And these kind of psalms and songs make us very uncomfortable, and I'll show you why. Okay, I, I'm going to show you musically why they make us uncomfortable. So we're in, the, we're in this regular key. What do you want it to do now? Yeah, you want it to do that. But the lament psalms sort of leave it here. You know, or, or do, you know, kind of leave it, since it's a minor key, they kind of leave you there on the, the minor six, and you're wondering, okay, where's the answer? Or, or is, as Jim Gaffigan says, one of my favorite comedians, when he talks about being in Catholic church, and he says that it feels like the priest is just taking longer on purpose. Ah, and I just want to go, men already, you know, like make him say the end of it, the resolve. But there's not always a resolve to these psalms. And it's okay, I think, of, uh, of times where we need to have a lack of resolve. We need to go in and just allow it to just be honest and say, this is where we are. Lord, I'm trusting you, but I don't have the answer yet. Trusting you, I believe you're going to answer, but it's just not there yet. Um, the setting in life for these uh, originally derived from the worship service, and then they were later used as spiritual songs for the individual. Um, these songs were occasioned by apparently life-threatening situations rather than everyday life. So when I wrote a song from that same passage, the As the Deer passage, um, Psalm 42, I believe it is, um, I was trying to capture a little bit more in that vein. Yours doesn't have to be this way, but I tried to think like, okay, if this person really is going through something like that, um, wouldn't something more like... song but you see what I mean about the difference in tone where we're trying to help our people sing um, something a little more true to the root all that is to say I do think that other song is beautiful and there's times where we can sing as the deer and I'm not trying to say there's no place for that in worship but what I am saying is let's let's be attentive to what's there and the tone that's present and then we have these communal lament psalms Calling upon Yahweh by name, um, lamenting complaints over the misfortune, almost always political in nature. And by political, I don't mean Republican, Democrat. I mean political in the way like how a society orders itself. 
and, and in this case, how the worshiping community orders itself. Um, and then you'll have these supplications, which are requests for help and petitions to a deity and petitions to Yahweh to transform misfortunes. And they're just saying, do something, God, please. And then there's these thoughts aimed to express confidence in the one who provides or to move Yahweh to action, such as his honor for the sake of his name, like for the sake of your name, do this, Lord, come and, and, and smite your enemies and things like that. And it often ends, again, with the certainty of being heard. Not with an answer, but with the certainty that they will be heard. And the setting of these psalms are days of national fasting uh, and, or complaint festivals brought on by national calamities. Okay, question time for you. And I hope we can get some interaction on this. And I'm just not going to get through everything I have prepared. I'm sorry, but we'll, we'll do it at what we can. Are there certain psalms? And I think this is an important question for us to ask because... We believe that Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. And so, as my friend Brian Zahn says in his sermons almost every week, Jesus is what God has to say. Okay, And so if we look at that, and we have to ask, if Jesus is the living Word, and if we in, in believe that Scripture is the inspired Word of God, but Jesus is the actual living Word of God, then Jesus needs to help us reimagine and reinterpret our scripture and even the way we've used scripture and we need to let Jesus transform our idea of what we thought scripture was supposed to be so the question here and I'd love to get some some feedback here are there certain psalms that Jesus would not pray or sing so, and, and I'll show you some examples here and like, what are we to do with the penitential and imprecatory psalms if we're to pray like Jesus? Penitential, I get that. Sometimes we have a problem with Jesus' baptism, you know, because, well, he was sinless. He didn't need to do that. So do we have trouble envisioning Jesus praying a song of repentance or singing a song of repentance? No, because he's the example. He's showing that for us the way. But it gets a little harder. Can we see Jesus praying for the damnation of our enemies? while we ask for our own forgiveness. See what I mean? Let, let me show you here. Also from the Psalms. A prayer. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go alive to the grave. Oh God, break their teeth in their mouth. That's one of the most painful images I can imagine. Break their teeth in their mouths, Lord. Psalm 58, 6. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I mean, that's like, <laughs> blot their name out of the book of life. Psalm 68, 28. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Psalm 109, 9. And that psalm actually goes into, may his children wander around hungry and find no rest. May they freeze to death out in the cold. May their innocent babies die. And then that leads into something like this in Psalm 137, 9. How blessed will be the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. I mean, we talk about Islam being violent, but come on. The Bible's got some pretty violent stuff in it. So here's where I hope to have some interaction. What do you think Jesus would have us do with psalms like that? Any, any thoughts on that? I'd just love to hear what you think. Better yet, if we're going to be faithful to the psalms, are we going to write songs like that for our congregation? I don't think it will go over very well. <laughs> I don't think so either. 
But but you see what I mean? Why this is difficult? And I mean I mean give me give me some thoughts on here. What what do you think we do with psalms like these? What do you think Jesus would have us do with psalms like these? Okay. Yeah, so we, we have to think about a cultural, about the time. And any other thoughts about it as well, like thinking about it culturally and, and where they were? Or, or just, what are your thoughts? What do we do with these? Jesus called us to be different than this. So I don't want to say that they're not relevant, but I don't think that they're necessarily what Jesus preached. Okay. Okay. Does, does Jesus have the right to dictate to us that our way of looking at Scripture is wrong and that we might need to have our perspective changed <laughs> on some things? I think he does. And I think the living word gets to trump the other sometimes. But at the same time, let me say this. If you, if you remember... Uh, I said at the beginning, the Psalms are unique in that these are not the words of God to us. These are our words to God. These are our responses to Him. It is very important. I, I believe this with all my heart. It's very important that we teach our people and that we ourselves become as brutally honest with God as we can in our life of prayer. And sometimes... If you think about it for a second, if you are one of those Christians around the world who has watched your family suffer, to be starved, who has, has seen your family die in terrible ways, loved ones, uh, your church has been set on fire with people locked inside and burnt to the ground, um, multiple other things, there are places in the world that don't have it easy like we have it. And I could fully see those people coming to these prayers and feeling that and going, Lord, I want you to do to them exactly what they did to me. I want you to do to them what's happened to me because it hurts and it's painful. But I think at the same time when we do that, we can give people the openness and the honesty to come to that and say, if you need to pray that, you pray it. But remember that these laments end not with the answer from God yet, but just knowing he has heard. And his answer doesn't look like that. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus is the answer <laughs> to these prayers. And Jesus, instead of coming back um, and taking out all these retributions upon everybody, took all these things upon himself. You know, When we think of Jesus on the cross, he is absorbing our worst prayers on our enemies upon himself on the cross. And Jesus is saying, this is the answer to that prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, does that, does that make sense? I mean, is that something that we can maybe help our people understand together? That just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that that's the way that we have to respond necessarily? That there actually may be a place for us to pray these things, but the answer from Jesus is not going to come back looking like dashing infants against rocks 
you know, it's just not going to be that way. So I, I don't know if that's the best answer, but it's a way I've, I've tried to, to help get through with all this. We only have a few minutes left. Let, let me just do one more type of psalm, and then if you have any questions or comments, um, I, I'd love to hear from you guys today. Thank you for interacting with me a little bit on this. Um, songs of Thanksgiving, where laments look forward to God's help, songs of Thanksgiving arise as a response of gratitude to God for having responded to prayer. So if you want to think about songs of Thanksgiving as anything, think of them as the response to the lament that you just prayed, where you're still waiting, the resolve, the final chord hasn't gone back to the one again. <laughs> this is the one chord, so to speak, okay? Um, where laments look forward to to the help, this is the answer. This is the help has come. And so we're responding with thanksgiving now. Um, some, some have a context of sin being forgiven, and God knows we need more songs about the joy of sin being forgiven and release and what that means. And, and some make reference to a healing that has taken place, and some indicate that a deliverance has come. Um, and I, I won't go through this one, but this is a... a that was just a temple liturgy of, of a song that I wrote um, that went on this, the album. It was sort of a way to help us sing together and think we're not going to take time to do that today because we're running out. But um, if you guys would like to have uh, this chart, again, just email me and I can, I can send it to you. I'd love to share it with you if it's any help to you at all. Um, we have about five minutes left. Do you guys have any, any kind of questions or comments about the Psalms or about writing, or was there something you wanted me to talk about today that I just didn't get to that, uh, that you had hoped I would? I, I, I don't want to leave anybody with an unresolved chord, so to speak, you know. Um. Well, we were just talking about Psalm 55, and if you look at it, it's a lot more into where we are than you realize. Hmm. It's not just any enemy. This is a prayer about a false friend. Oh, wow. Somebody who has been my friend and yet now Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that hurts. Yes. It reminds me of like those who have PTSD, those who have gone through lots of struggles and stuff. And one of the remedies or like healing process is writing it out and actually like just venting over it and just kind of getting rid of it on paper. And I feel like that's kind of what this is. Sure. So, so we really are lament these imprecatory psalms. That's excellent. It's like PTSD victims that write out their their feelings and their thoughts. Um, that's excellent. I think that's a really good way to look at it, actually. That the psalms can then become therapeutic. Um, can, please keep talking. Hey, before you leave, let me give you guys this. No, no, feel, feel free. I just want you to have it if you'd like to. Um, it's got a way you can download the book for free. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you. Get, oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, but any other comments or questions or, you know, tell me I'm wrong about something I don't know of. <laughs> I'm okay with that. All right, well, I'll be around here for uh, the rest of the day. Not in this room, but I'll be around. I'm going to be leading the lunch session today, too. So um, if you guys want to talk any further, had any questions about, or even anything, you know, about just the, the craft of songwriting, I really didn't get a lot into that today, and I kind of would want to, but there's just so much to cover, and I didn't get through half of the songs, really. So only so much I can do in 60 minutes. So, um, But if you want to talk later, I'd love to do that.
So um, I guess I'll go ahead and release you to lunchtime now, I think. Is that what's next? What's on the back here? Yep. Okay, well, thanks, everybody. I appreciate you coming to Out of the Depths today. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.